Good morning, church. Great is our faithfulness. That particular song, um, God of Wonder. God of Wonder, beyond our galaxy. You are holy, holy. The universe declares your majesty. Uh, That's a beautiful song. Uh, This morning... I stand before you by the power of God and the authority of Jesus Christ and under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And I bring to you this morning what I consider a beautiful message from Psalm 139. And as we prepare our hearts to meet the Lord, I ask you to join me in prayer. And I'm going to ask you to do something different this morning. And as the brother mentioned, our pastor's in need. And I'm going to ask the individuals on this side of the church to lift up the pastor's wife and his children. And I'm going to ask you on this side of the church to lift up the pastor as we go to the Lord in prayer. And as you're aware, there's power in prayer. So as I pray out of my heart, I ask you to pray in your heart for those specific requests. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father who is our God, we come to you, Lord, this morning, thanking you for your grace, your mercy, and your peace. Your grace, Lord, because it takes our sins away. And your mercy, Lord, because we once was helpless people, but you saw fit, Lord, to provide us mercy. And Lord, we are thankful for your peace For it gives our conscience, it clears our conscience, Lord, of all condemnation and guilt and shame. So we just want to thank you this morning. And Lord, we thank you for who you are, Lord, and for what it is you have done. And Lord, as we sung the song this morning in terms of your great wonders, we are so grateful and so thankful this morning, Lord, to know you as the strong creator God, Elohim. And Lord, you created us in such a manner that you have fearfully and wonderfully made us, and we are so thankful. And Lord, we also come to you worshiping you, Lord, as Jehovah. We worship you as the relational God because, Lord, you saw fit in the failures of our parents to offer up your son, Jesus Christ, that we may enter into a personal relationship with you. And Lord, we just want to thank you this morning. And also, Lord, we want to thank you this morning for revealing yourself to us as Elohim. And Lord, we know without a doubt that El El Bethel, you have allowed, Lord, 
your spirit to come and reside in us because, Lord, you have always wanted to tabernacle with your people. And, Lord, we are just so thankful this morning by the blood of Jesus Christ that you have sent your spirit to, 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 to live in us. And our bodies are a house for you. And, Lord, right now I come and I join my brothers and sisters in Christ who are praying, you know, for the record family. And, Father, in the name of Jesus, we lift up that family. And, Lord, we pray that you will continue to raise up that hedge of protection around them. And, Lord, we thank you. Father, we thank you for the wall of fire that you are putting around them as of this very moment. And, Lord, we thank you also, Lord, that you have enlisted angels to even protect them as well. So, Lord, we are giving you glory and giving you praise and giving you thanks to how you are going to strengthen that family, Lord, from this power of prayer that is going out from among your people for this particular family. And right now, Lord, as we turn our attention to your holy word, Father in heaven, we recognize right now that this is a very, very holy moment. Lord, this is a moment where your people come together into your presence. And, Lord, we thank you for the Holy Spirit that make the work of the cross real in our lives. Father, also we recognize this morning as we approach you this day that the Lord Jesus Christ is enough. And, Lord, we come this morning realizing that we want to look upon him and we want to behold his, him in our eyes. And, Lord, we want to do that by faith as we proclaim the word this morning. And, Father, unless you build the house, we who labor, we labor in vain. So right now, Father, come and build this house with your word and send your spirit, Lord, by the power that we may hear your word and be changed by it. Come now, Lord, and meet us right this very moment as we turn our attention to your holy word, your holy word, and we ask this in Jesus' name. And all God people say amen. amen. And right now, I ask you to stand and join me in reading from Psalm 139. And I uh, only plan to read the first six verses in Psalm 139, but I will look at all of those verses in the context of Psalm 139. So hear the word of God as recorded in Psalm 139, verses 1 through 6. O oh Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O oh Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot obtain it. May the Lord bless the reading and the hearing of his holy word. You may be seated. And I have a question for you this morning. And the question is, Have you ever thought about what God thinks 
when he thinks about you. Uh, let me say that again. Have you ever thought about what God thinks about you? And Psalm 139 really helps us to answer that. What God thinks when he thinks about us. In fact, about it, we will see in two places in Psalm 139, that particular question is answered. In verse 6, it's answered. And also in verse 17 and 18, it gives an answer to that particular question. What God thinks when he thinks about us. And now, I remind you, that sounds like a very, very simple question. What do you think? It's very, very simple. But what God thinks about us when he thinks about us is a very, very profound question. So let's begin to look at this particular psalm in a lot more detail. And I kind of remind you that this particular psalm is broken out in four standards. Verses 1 through 6, we will be looking at God omniscient. And in verses 7 through 12, we will be looking at God omnipresent. And in verses 13 through 18, we will be looking at the omnipotency of our sovereign God. And finally, we're going to look at something that might be new to you, but I call it God omni righteousness. And that's dealing with God personal holiness. Now, I also remind you that this particular psalm is not written in a theoretical aspect. David is writing this psalm based upon his own personal experience. And I want us to see to this morning how this particular psalm applies to our lives as well. So with that said, let's begin to unpack this particular psalm. And look at verse 1 with me. And verse 1 says, O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. And the particular picture that David is painting there is, it's kind of like miners, coal miners, going into the deep recesses of the earth, extracting coal. And what David is asking the Lord to do is, Lord, look deep in the recess of my heart and show me what is there that I might take care of it. And that's the implication of what he is asking God to do in terms of searching him. And this search is a very painful search, as well as this search is a very careful search as well. So God is familiar with every intimate detail of our life. Nothing escapes his knowledge. He knows everything about us. God is intimately acquainted with us, 
and he is familiar with all of our ways. God is all-knowing, so he fully knows every person. And that's the implication of God omniscient. God is all-knowing. And let me say this in terms of God is all-knowing. It's very, very important to really kind of understand and not to be frightened because of this knowledge that God possesses of us. And we're going to see why we should not be frightened or fearful of God knowing everything about us. Look at the first part of verse 2 in that particular psalm. And it reads as such, you know when I sit and when I rise. So God knows absolute everything about us, and he knows our action. He knows when we sit. And when we sit, that is our leisure time. That's the implication of sitting. We are at leisure. God knows about that time in concerning us. And it says when we get up. And we, when we get up, the implication of that is, is when we rise. And most times we talk about getting up in the morning time. And we talk about getting up and going to work. And that's what that means, is God knows when we get up during our work time as well. So he knows when we sit, our leisure, and he knows when we rise, our work time. Whether we are going out to work or we are serving within our home, God knows that. And then if you notice the second part of verse 2, it goes on to say, You perceive my thoughts from afar. God perceives our thoughts from afar. And I encourage you this morning, if you want to be holy inward, you must constantly confront your thought life with God. You must constantly bring your thought life before God. And David going to say in verse 3, notice what it said in verse 3. You search my path and my lying down and are familiar with, with all my ways. Path is what we walk on. So what David is saying in those words is, he knows my words. In fact, he even knows what I am going to say before I say it. And when I go somewhere, and that is out in public, just your walk is out in public. And that's the implication in terms of knowing your path. And he say, my line down. And when I lie down, that's your private life. You're going to go within your room and you're going to withdraw from everything. That's your private life. So God knows when we walk our public life and he knows when we lie down our private life. In verse 4, if you kind of notice, David going to say, even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. So as I said earlier, he knows our action. In fact, he knows what we are going to say before we say it. That is an omniscient God. And notice our verse 5, what it says. It says, you hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me 
And the picture here is think of a bird enclosed in a cage. This bird is totally surrounded in this particular cage. And that's what is implying in terms of being hemmed in behind and before. His hand is upon David. And God's hand is there to steady David and to direct David. And kind of notice uh, what it says there in verse 6. And this is the answer to the question that I posed to you in terms of, have you ever thought about what God thinks when he thinks about us? And look at verse 6. David says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to obtain. And this knowledge that God has of David lays beyond his comprehension. It is too wonderful for him, which means that this particular knowledge is extraordinary and surpassing the ability of David to grasp it. And this particular knowledge is also beyond our comprehension as If you kind of notice in those first six verses, it addressed God omniscient. God omniscient. And I remind you that God knows all these things about us for a particular reason. This knowledge is not by God for the sake of God having this knowledge. This knowledge God possessed in a benevolent way on our behalf. And he possessed that knowledge such that he can provide and care for us. That's why he knows everything about us. That's the purpose of God having this all-knowing knowledge about us such that he can provide and take care of us. And this next standard, we're going to look at verses 7 through 12. And as I had said earlier, this threat of being known so intimate by God provoked this reaction that we will see in verses 7 through 12. In these particular verses 7 through 12, they address the omnipresence of God. And let me just say this in terms of these attributes that I am bringing to bear, these attributes are unique to God and no one else. They are particular attributes that are unique to God. And these that will be brought out in this particular psalm are unique to God only. Now, there are some attributes that we share with God, such as love, kindness, compassion, But those attributes that we share with God have been tainted by sin. So let's unpack these verses in 7 through 12. I'm not present of God. And that implies that God is present everywhere. God is everywhere at one time. God is present everywhere, and he's present all at once, wherever that may be. And God is always with every person, even with the sinner, even if he does not know it or does not recognize it. 
And look with me at verse 7 and 8. Verse 7 and 8. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in jail, you are there. So you really see nowhere can David hide from God. For God is omnipresent. And a good illustration of that is Jonah. I'm not sure what Jonah was thinking when he fleed from God, but there was no way that he could flee from God. And it was very, very clear that he could not because God harnessed his presence through a whale, a big fish, as most Bibles say, which I agree that it is. So you really kind of see in terms of the only way that we, like Jonah, strayed out of the presence of God, it is when we are disobedient, you might say. But still, we may think we out of his presence, but in all reality, we are really not. Because God is present everywhere, and when we get there, he is there as well. And if you kind of notice in that particular verse, it said, he said, if I'll sin in heaven. And when we think of heaven, that's the implication of north. And then it say, when we descend down, we think of hell being south. But Sheol is the grave. And that's what David is saying, that if he went up to heaven, God is there. And if he went to the grave, God is there as well. So that's the implication of God omnipresent in terms of David realizing that as well. So wherever we go, God is there. And always remember that God made a promise to us that he would never leave us nor forsake us. That's one promise you should hang your life on. No matter what the circumstances or the situation may be, know that God is right there in the midst of it with you going through it. And look at verses 11 through 12 with me. And it's going to say this. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light as well be with me by night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day. For darkness is a light with you. So you really see that nothing is hidden from God. You can hide in the dark, but God is light and he will find you out. Now kind of notice our verse 10. If you notice verse 10 gives the reason for his presence. Verse 10 Give the reason. Just like we saw God knowledge, the reason, the care and provide for us, God present is to lead and to guide us. We have God present in order to lead and to guide us. That's very, very important to understand why we have the presence of God and why God has given his presence to us to lead and to guide us.
And now this next standard, which is standard three, we looked at God omniscient and we looked at God omnipresent. And now we're going to look at something called God omnipotency. And that means that God is all powerful. This is an attribute that is unique to God. Omniscient is unique to God. Omnipresent is unique to God. And omnipotency is unique to God. And for God to be omnipotency means that God is all powerful. God is all powerful. And God has wonderfully created every person. And we're going to see that in this, in, in this standard. In verses 13 through 18, we will see the power of God. So let's read verses 13 through 16. And just kind of bear with me and listen to these verses. For you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was hidden from you when I was being made in secret, woven in the depth of the earth. Your eyes saw my uninformed system. In your book were written every one of them. The days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. And let me just say something about being fearfully and wonderfully made. And that speaks of the care and the attention that God has made us. And also being aware of how precious and awesome we have been individually crafted by the hand of God. To be fearfully and wonderfully made speaks of the care and the attention that God did in creating us. And you really see in these verses, 13 through 16, we have a very powerful and skillful God. And if you look at verse 16, though hidden from God, Though, although David was hidden from God by the human eye way before the days of sonogram, David was not hidden from the eyes of God. And not only did God make David and us through his creative power, but also God ordained all our days before any of them came into being. Before we even existed, God had already numbered our days. This is the awesome God that I'm talking about this morning. And the very...
and the very complexity of humankind testifies to the wonderful power of God, our creator. And I have some notes. I must have misplaced them in terms of the complexity of God creating us. And our body has 60 trillion cells in it. The blood in our body flows entirely, the entire blood in our body flows within 23 seconds throughout our body. Our heart pumps 37,000 gallons of blood per year. If you really take on consideration the creation of us, it would just really blow your mind. And I apologize that I just can't recall a lot more of those statistics that I came across. But when I read them, it was just unbelievable of the God we serve. Unbelievable. So considering how fearfully and wonderfully we are made, it really should cause us to break out in thanksgiving because it is mm, mm, mm. unbelievable. There has to be a designer, something like that, a higher designer than man. And we know that designer to be God himself. And I say this, every human life matters to God, both inside and outside the womb. God has created us with a purpose, with an intention, and with value. And I can stand here this morning and say that God is pro-life. He is the one who created life. Now look with me, verses 17 through 18. And you remember I asked you that question in terms of have you ever thought about what God thinks when he thinks about you and I. Look at verse 17 and 18. This is what God thinks. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. 
I awake and I am still with you. Think of the thoughts. I had planned this morning to get the men's Sunday school class to help me count the grains of sand in this container, but I forgot. But kind of notice what it says here. It didn't say in a container. It said, how vast is the sum of them? If I would count them, they are more than the sand. God's thoughts are just so innumerable about you and I, it is no way to even count them. This, this is just unbelievable when I read this verse here. Just think sometimes you go to bed at night and you might sleep for four, five, six, seven, eight hours and you don't think about nothing, but yet God constantly thinks about you and I. Even while we sleep. God's thoughts towards us are many. Too vast to count. But they are the route of his blessing into our life. So since we cannot escape from God. We must commit ourselves to his holiness. And let me just share with you in terms of God, omnipotency, he uses that to defend and protect us. Remember what I kind of said earlier, that God, omniscient, is there to provide and care for us. God, omnipresent, is there to guide and to lead us. But God, omnipotency, is there to protect and defend us. That's our God. And now we're going to look at this last stanza. Verses 19 through 24. Now 19 through 24 basically is a practical application really. After all of this all-knowing God, all-present God, all-powerful God, this should be our response. But what I'm trying to pull out these particular verses is I want you to see the holiness of God, another attribute of God, which I am laboring as the omni-righteousness of God, which implies that God is all-righteous. God is Completely holy. And let's read verses 19 through 22. And listen to these verses here. Oh, that you would slay the wicked. And let me just kind of remind you, this is David talking. But David is not talking in such a manner that he hate unbelievers. David is talking in a manner that he is defending the holiness of God. 
So pay real close attention to as I read these verses because it's so easy to think that David hates unbelievers. But this is not what David is saying. David is defending his God. Just as David approached Goliath, David was defending his God. And what he's doing here in Psalm 139 is the same thing. And listen, he said, oh, that you would slay the wicked. Oh, God, oh, men's of blood depart from me. They speak with malicious intent, your enemies. Do I not, do I not hate those who hate you? Oh, Lord, and do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. So what David is saying here is he is asking God to do something about those who speak evil against God, who are taking God's name in vain. They are mocking God, and David does not like that. So, so this is not directed at David. David is not responding to what someone has done to him. David is responding to what someone has done to his God. So that's a righteous response. God hates sin, and guess what? David hates what God hates. And that's what's going on in these particular verses. So don't be misled in terms that David is bringing out hate towards his enemy. He's not doing that. David is standing up for God. So this is not personal bitterness that David is expressing, but a righteous hatred of their attitude and action towards his God. And then, verse 23 and 24. Now, notice how David closed this particular psalm. He closed this psalm the same way that he opened this psalm. If you look up at verse 1, he's asking God to search him. And now, in the closing of this particular psalm, David is asking the same thing. Search me. And this is what David says in verse 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. So you see how David is closing this psalm. And based upon what David is asking God to do, it is really clear that David did not make a proud statement about his own righteousness in those preceding verses, 22 and 23, that I just read. But as I said, he was expressing disgust with the wicked, and he actually asked God to search his own heart for wickedness as well. So this particular plea in verses 23 and 24 is that the Lord would do a remarkable saving and sanctifying work in his own heart. For the simple reason, David desired to live a holy life open before God. And that's why he's asking God to search him. And I say this based upon what has been said already. 
is knowledge of God attributes can bring great peace into the lives of believers. God comprehensive knowledge, personal presence, and absolute power are all working for the welfare of his people. Therefore, we should commit ourselves to him in loyalty and resist those who oppose him just as David did. So in closing, I challenge us at Haven two things based upon this particular psalm. First, I challenge us to constantly expose our inner life to God. Search me and try me. David is asking God to shine his pure light into the inner recesses of his thought life where all sin originates. So that's the first challenge to us at Haven. Constantly expose our inner life to God. And the second challenge is this. As we expose ourselves to the inner life of God, we must constantly yield our whole life to God. And that's that part, lead me. Exposing our inner life to God, saying, search me. And yielding our whole life to God is saying, lead me. So knowledge without obedience leads to deception and pride. We must become doers of the word, not just hearers who delude ourselves. So remember those two challenges from this particular psalm. Let us continue to expose our inner life to God and let us constantly yield our whole life to God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come just to say thank you once again. We thank you, Lord, for your grace, your mercy, and your peace. And Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for you. And Holy Spirit, we thank you for you. The triune God, the only and true God, we praise you for your knowledge of us, your nearness to us, and making us in your holiness. Comfort us by these things and move us to praise you in the mighty name of Jesus Christ and all God people say amen.